Hey, good morning, everybody. Great to be with you. Welcome to those of you watching online in the atrium, the other campuses. Glad you're here. And uh, we're in a series right now uh, studying uh, the book of Psalms, and it's called All the Things. And uh, the, the book of Psalms, if, if you're not aware, it, it's in the Old Testament. It's in the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, it, it's a book of Bible. It's actually a collection of songs that were sung uh, in the synagogue. In fact, uh, Jesus, this is one of the books that Jesus studied. He quotes it actually pretty frequently. So we're going to be reading and studying the Bible that Jesus read and studied, that portion of Scripture. And here's what it does, is really the book of Psalms gives us an indication of how do we relate to God? How do we connect to Him? How do we speak to Him and how do we listen to Him? Uh, Can we bring everything to Him? Is there a way we're supposed to address Him? And what you see in the Psalms is they kind of cover all the topics. The Psalms tell you, uh, how do you pray and how do you worship and how how do you sing When everything's great, how do you honor God in all the good things and the happiness, the celebrations? How do you do that? Uh, How do you speak to God when things aren't so good? When it's challenging or painful, you're in pain. Uh, The Bible, what I love about the Psalms, it says God can handle it. Bring everything to him. Don't hold back. Uh, What do you do when when life just is kind of in between? Like you go, where I'm at, it's not where I want to be, but I'm I'm not where I was and I'm not where I want to be. I'm in this in-between you see in the Psalms, there's this great phrase that introduces where the person who writes it just screams out to God, God, how long? God, how long? And God's saying, bring your disappointment. The interesting thing about the Psalms is some of them uh, flip the script and it's now God's words to us. In fact, he uses some of the same words. Some of the times God says to us, how long? How long will you ignore me? How long will you live your life your way? How long? And some of them from God actually, uh, the way I always phrase it, some of them kind of punch you in the nose, slap you in the face. Some of them are just real direct. And in fact, the one we're going to look at today would fall in that category. We're in Psalm 14 today. So if you've got a Bible, flip it open to that. If you read the Bible on your phone, it's fine. Go ahead and open that app and go Psalm 14. But the minute you see it, you'll see from verse 1, this one is just real direct right in your face. Here's what it says. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool declares in his heart, there is no God. How's that for an introduction? The fool declares in his heart, there's no God. Uh, Let me kind of unpack this for you. Uh, When I went to college, I majored in philosophy. And yes, my dad, when I declared that, pulled me aside and said, Steve, I looked at the one ads. Apparently, no one's hiring philosophers anymore. And he was accurate. And, uh, but I stuck with a philosophy major and, uh, uh, right away, uh, the state college I went to, small uh, college and a pretty small department, maybe 60 students total. And uh, I discovered something new. Again, uh, I grew up in a small town in Missouri, grew up always believing in God. I kind of thought everyone believed in God. We might just disagree on the interpretation. I got to the philosophy course and discovered I might have been the only person who believed in God there. And uh, as I kind of got to know the students quickly in my first class, I discovered there was one guy who stood head and shoulders above the rest, just brilliant. Maybe the smartest guy I've ever met. And early on, we would have these philosophical discussions about beliefs, and I noticed he had such an incredible mind. He would destroy the other people's arguments so quick and so fast and with no mercy. And immediately I knew, I don't ever want to argue with him. You can see where this story is going, don't you? Uh, One of the favorite icebreakers people ask is, what was your most embarrassing moment in school? And now I'm about to share it with you. So there was one day we showed up early to class. The professor was not yet there. 
And I sat down at my seat and I kind of got my notes ready. And I realized that I was getting things ready. Someone walked up behind me and I turned and it was that brilliant young man. And he said very loudly for the whole class to hear, I get the sense that you believe there's a God. And I thought, oh no. See, I wasn't the intellectual giant you see before you now at that time. I was just an 18-year-old kid. And with unbelievable speed and with intelligence, he utterly destroyed my belief in God and my argument for his existence. It was so fast. His ideas were so intelligent. Candidly, he said words I didn't understand, but I thought, I can't admit that right now. And, and this was happening, and as he's destroying this, I felt this wave of embarrassment come over me. And about that moment, the professor walked in. And he went up to his desk, he had his portfolio, and he was unpacking it, and he glanced up at me and watched what was happening. And I was so embarrassed. And he paused, he said, hey class, go ahead, everyone take your seats. And then he acknowledged that brilliant young man. He said, come up to the front, would you come up to the front? And he goes, I get the sense that you don't believe in God. And he said, of course not. And he goes, well, share with the class, what's your belief on how we all got here? And he said, well, science has proven that many, many years ago when the earth was newly formed and there was a primordial ooze across the planet, that single cells were formed. And those single cells over time evolved and became more and more complicated until eventually humanity emerged. And uh, the philosophy professor said, yes, I've heard of it. It's called evolution. Uh, but, But here's my question. You said that we came out of a primordial ooze, an early planet. How did the planet get here? He goes, oh, science has solved that too. The idea is that there were these elements that existed before space and time, really. And and those elements at some point combined into a massive explosion that hurtled stars and planets and galaxies all around. And that's how we were formed. And the professor said, yes, I've heard of it. It's called the Big Bang Theory. Let me ask you this. You said there were a group of elements that were there before. Where did they come from? And the young man said, I'm sorry? And he said, well, you said there are these elements there, and and I just want to know where they came from. He said, you believe in physics, right? And the guy says, of course I do. And he said, well, one of the laws of physics says that something cannot come from nothing. So I'm sure you're not suggesting that these elements just came from nothing, are you? So where did they come from? And this wave of embarrassment came over this brilliant young man right in front of me, right? The teacher with mercy said, "It's, it's okay, go ahead and sit down. And he walked over to the chalkboard, and he said, class, he goes, you're all new to this. He goes, in this class, we're going to deal with the most complex of questions, the biggest questions, and we want to be open and honest and discuss them. But at this point in human history, in all our understanding, every one of the philosophies that describes our existence begins with, and he wrote these words, they all begin with an unmade maker. He said, At this point, we have no explanation for how elements would be here on their own. We have no understanding. So he said, every one of us will debate this. We all want to understand. We want to value science and all that science can teach us. But in the end, we have no explanation for how this all began other than acknowledging there's an unmade maker. Something existed that did not exist before somehow. He said, for that reason, some of you will say there's a God, and some of you say there's no God, but we will respect each other, understanding that we are limited in our understanding. He said, this is what we want in this department, two things from you. We're going to debate, we're going to argue in our search for knowledge, 
But number one, we will do so with humility. He said, because the truth is, you and I are just specks of dust in all the history. He said, this is going to be tough for you freshmen, but he said, truthfully, most of you will do nothing really of any accomplishment and not really matter much. And uh, so he said, we're going to humble ourselves because truthfully, he goes, the trees you plant in your life will exist longer than you will. So let's deal with these grand, huge questions with humility, understanding that we are not God. We are not the unmade maker. We are created beings with a short life and limited understanding. Humility first. And then second, he said, as we debate and discuss things, we're going to do so with humility and with respect. Again, understanding we don't have all the answers. Each of us will have to form a solution in our minds for how this all began. And we will respect each other when we disagree. It's okay to disagree, but let's do so respectfully. And out of all the lessons I learned that day, that idea of any time we talk about these important things, to do it with humility and respect, that's just shaped me. I share it with you. Some of you will have conversations with friends who disagree on beliefs. And I encourage you, do so with humility and respect. Acknowledge what you don't understand. Acknowledge at times, it's a step of faith. But do so with humility and respect. And some of you, I know in this room, you don't, you don't believe in God, or maybe you don't know what you believe at this point. And I'd say, one, you're always welcome at our church, always. Uh, But two, again, we hope you'll engage in this and understand, I think what this verse is saying is really it's arrogant for created human beings to declare there's no God. There's an arrogance to that, isn't there? And it's saying if you're so arrogant that you just uh, just kind of shut God out and, and ignore even the possibility of it, you really could be foolish. I think it's saying always, always, when you deal with the question of God, do so with humility and respect. Uh, Now, there's one other thing that I want to share on this topic of the foolish path. Uh, This is something I learned, and it it really goes back to a mathematician named Pascal. And Pascal was a brilliant mathematician. If you took math, you probably learned some of his theorems. But he had something to contribute on this topic of the existence of God, and here it is. Uh, He would do something at his time with his class or groups of people learning from him. He would do something. He called it Pascal's wager. And here's what he'd do. He says that every one of you is going to make a bet, a wager. You're going to place all the chips on one of two options, okay? And here's what it is. Do you believe there's a God or do you not? Do you believe there's a God or not? You're going to put all the chips on one or the other. Everything you've got is a wager. Do you believe there's a God or not? He said, I want you to form in your mind what you think and where you'd put your money, yes or no. But he goes, before you do that, on any kind of wager, any kind of investment, any kind of bet, you have to do a cost-benefit analysis. And he said, I'm going to help you think through this. And he said, here's the wager. There's really only four variables. Do you believe God exists or does he not? Are you a believer or are you a disbeliever? Those are the four. But he goes, let's just do cost-benefit analysis on this. He goes, okay, let's say God doesn't exist. No God. But you spend your life believing in him. Well, there is a cost to that. With your religious faith, maybe you invest some of your time in going to the synagogue or to the church, the mosque. You're, you're investing time, and there's a cost there. You're also maybe giving some money, so there's some cost there. But in the end, there doesn't exist anything. You die and disappear, and that's it. So he goes, really, the cost is minimal, but there's still a cost. So he said, I'll just put a, a small little minus there for that. Now let's flip it. Let's say you don't believe in God, and there isn't a God. Well, there's no cost to it, but there's really no benefit. When you die, you don't even get to say, I told you so. So he goes, I'm going to leave this blank, right? Because uh, there's no cost, but there's no benefit. A little better than believing, but, you know. 
Let's flip it. He goes, let's say God does exist. And you spend your life believing and devoted to him. The reward is huge. The Bible and all the other faiths say, if there's a God and you believe, there's eternal rewards, joy and happiness, celebration for all eternity. He would put a massive plus sign. That is a massive benefit to you. Huge. Boy, you got it right and you get to celebrate for all time. And let's flip it. Let's say you spend your life disbelieving and declaring there's no God. And then you die and discover you were wrong, that he does exist. Oh, the cost is massive, isn't it? Cost is massive because you'll stand before this guy and you say, I spent my whole life denying you, never lived a life that honored you. He goes, the cost then is huge. We'll put a massive minus sign because it's an eternal loss, an eternal disappointment. You don't get to enjoy all that he has to offer and you were wrong. Oh my gosh. He'd say to the class, he goes, now, now where do you want to put your wager? And he said, what should be evident, and here's this thing, he wasn't trying to convince someone that God exists or didn't. What he was trying to convince everyone is, of all the things you could pursue with understanding and learning, the most important thing is this question right here. Because nothing else has these kinds of stakes. Your understanding of math, very important, but nothing's more important than this. Your understanding of literature, important, not as important as this. And what he was trying to say was to all these brilliant people, there are so many distractions that can take your thought and your time. Don't come to the end of your life and realize you didn't think about this. It's so easy to be entertained and to never seriously consider, could there possibly a God? And if there is, what does he expect from me? And like Pascal would say, if you fail to consider this wager, you're a fool. The most important question, make sure you know what you believe and why. And then live a life that really honors that. Pascal would say, it's a fool who goes through life and says, I never really considered God. It's a fool that comes to the end of their days and said, I learned a lot, I thought a lot, I considered a lot, but never once did I ask the question, is there a God? Pascal would say, your best thought should go to that question. That's the wise path. Consider it, invest in it, know exactly what you believe and why, and then live a life of conviction based on it. Now, I have many friends who aren't sure what they believe in God. They're not sure of their beliefs. And when they build a relationship with me, and if they'll trust me, all of them will have a vulnerable moment where they'll just share, Steve, I don't know what I believe, but I don't even know where to start. It's true. Like, how do you even start to think about what you believe on this? Do you just accept the beliefs of your parents or will you form your own? And what I always encourage them is you've got to find someone you trust to help you think through what are the big questions to work through and how. And the best resource I have found is a class we have at church called Alpha. And we have for offer it. It's actually going this Wednesday. I'd encourage you, if this is you, you go, I'm not sure what I believe. Get there this Wednesday. Clear your calendar. Go, I'm going to take Pascal's challenge and invest my best. What you'll find is this, is at tables, people who, like you, aren't sure what they believe will gather. And the hope is that we create questions for you to talk about respectfully and with humility to understand what each other believes. Sometimes hearing someone else's belief can help you form your beliefs. And over the weeks that come, we hope that we'll help you identify what you believe and then also present the Christian beliefs to see do they align or not. But the hope is that at the end of the class, you go, I know what I believe. I've invested time. I'm not the fool. I'm the wise person who prioritizes this over every other distraction. I hope you'll do that. If you don't know what you believe, pursue this. Make sure you get this right. You don't want to be the fool who comes to the end of your life and go, I never considered the most important question. 
The fool says in his heart, there's no God. Just declares it. Now, I want to bring that verse up one more time. Because there's something, I think, a little deeper in this verse for all of us. See, that Bible verse, if you look at now, it says, the fool says in his what? The fool says in his heart, there's no God. Very fascinating. It doesn't say the fool says with his mouth. It says with his heart. And the question you have to answer is, if he's not talking about words I say, and he's talking about the heart, how do I know what my heart believes? And the indication in this verse is sometimes people can say with their mouth, I believe in God. And maybe even intellectually, of course I believe in God. But their heart declares something very different. Even indicates some of the times when someone can have a sincere belief in God, but over time, their mind and their mouth may still say the same message, but their heart may wander off and declare something different that they actually don't believe in God. And the question all of us should ask then is, how do I possibly know what my heart believes? Is there any chance my heart even today believes something different than what I've declared? And in this verse, you're going to see a truth emerge, and it's just this, that your actions, your choices, they reveal your true beliefs. Your actions reveal what your heart believes. Your actions declare it. If you look at your actions, if if you did an audit of your behaviors, your calendar, your resources, your relationships, if you did an audit of them, they should tell you a story. Either your, your life declares a belief in God, or your life declares it's just me, all about me. Uh, One of the verses right here, it says, the fool says in his heart that there's no God. And then it says this phrase, they are corrupt and their deeds are vile. And the idea there is their choices, their actions, their life is how you know what they believe. Their life declares that their heart doesn't believe. Their life declares it. So let's talk about this for a second. If we did an audit of your calendar, if you just brought out your calendar and we just looked through, how do you invest your life? Is there anything in your schedule that clearly declares your belief in God? That you're living your life intentionally so that he will be honored. Is there anything there? Or if we looked at your calendar, does it show it's all about me? Does your calendar declare it's my time? This verse says, don't be the fool. Invest your time in the things of God. Ensure that your calendar has something to declare about your beliefs. What about your checkbook, your money? If we did an audit of your finances, does it show finances that are fully surrendered to him where you go, yeah, I'm faithful to the tithe. I'm generous to those in need. I'm thinking about how to live on less so that I can give away more. I'm wise about saving because we know difficulty emerges. But does it declare your belief or does your checkbook say, it's all about me? This verse is saying those things declare your belief and where your heart is. You've got to take this seriously. Because you may in your mind think, of course there's a God, but your heart may be telling a different story. Uh, This one even continues, and it has this interesting phrase. It describes the person who doesn't believe in God, and it says, they devour my people as though eating bread. They never call on the Lord. This indicates your connection to God, how you pray, how you call out, how you look to him for wisdom and guidance. That says something about it. And how you treat people as well says something very clear about your belief. Recently, I went out to dinner with another family, and they have a teenage son. And uh, we went to an Italian restaurant. And so, you know, before we ever even ordered, they brought out a loaf of bread. And we were having conversation, and I realized the teenage son was devouring the entire loaf. And he was so happy, smile on his face, he was laughing, he was engaging, crumbs were flying everywhere. Before he knew it, he ate the entire thing. The waiter came back and said, would you like another one? And he goes, I absolutely would. And I thought, man, I wish I could eat these kinds of carbs, right? (laughs) Too late. 
And I was studying this passage, watching him enjoy this bread so thoughtlessly. They devour my people as if eating bread. See, in our day and in Jesus' day, right, like bread was just something you, you put out on the table. When we paid for the check later, bread wasn't there. We didn't, we weren't charged. We didn't order it. It was just, there it was. And no one considers it. You just eat it or don't. And, and the idea of this passage is you treat people like bread, like they don't have value, that they don't have worth, that you're not intentional and thoughtful about it. And see, the God of the Bible describes his greatest treasure, all that he treasures in the world is people. They're his craftsmanship and his workmanship. People carry his image. The Bible even describes that God knit you together, every one of you, with his hands, breathed life into you. The Bible asks every person who believes in God treats every other human being with immense respect and care because it's God's greatest treasure. And one of the ways you declare you're not a believer in God is how you treat people. If you treat people with disdain, if you believe there's different, some people I treat kindly, but there's some who don't deserve it. The Bible says you're a fool. Someday every one of us will answer to God for how he treated his greatest treasure. Now here's the thing, all of us make mistakes. All of us do things that hurt others. That's part of being human. But is there a pattern in your life where you demonstrate there are some people that you really don't care about? If so, I highly recommend you change that immediately. That you tell somebody. If there's racism that's come into your heart, that there's a people group you just can't stand, the Bible says that's a declaration of your atheism. How could you possibly believe in a God who created every human being and hold racism in your heart? You've got to get that right. You have to declare with your life your belief. Now, a trick that I do, uh, I'll just share this with you. I can never do it now, but I'll share it with you. Uh, when we're interviewing candidates, and for 23 years I've been interviewing candidates, I do something to the candidates to discover their heart on this one. And so I've got an assistant, my assistant Susan, and I'll say to them, as we put together their schedule, I'm going to intentionally be late for their meeting so that they sit out with you. Because the truth is, I'm interviewing and hiring the person. Of course they're going to be nice to me. I want to, be know, I want to know, are they nice to her? Because if they're nice to me but not nice to her, I don't want to hire them onto our church staff. Because what kind of church leader would treat people poorly? And you'd be amazed the number of times these 23 years where she walked in and she go, you wouldn't believe what they said to me or how they spoke to me or how they treated me. And that's why I do the test because I go, the last thing I want is to have someone on our team that's surely nice to me but aren't nice to others. That's a declaration about what you think about God. My dad said it to me years ago. We were at a dinner. And uh, my dad said, Steve, some people in the world will be nice to you, but they won't be nice to the waiter, and you need to know they're probably not nice people. And the person that you view as, let's just say, below you, whether because of their job or their wealth or their status, if you're playing some hierarchy where some people deserve your respect and kindness and others don't, you have thoroughly missed the heart of God. Take that seriously. Get that right. This verse says, the fool devours people like bread. Be thoughtful, kind, wise, loving. If you've gotten it wrong, apologize. Get it right. But don't miss it. How you treat people declares your belief in God. I want to go just a little, uh, yeah, I want to go a little deeper on this one. Again, this indicates all these deeds, all these actions declare something. So I want to get into a couple. 
you, you think about we're getting into tax season, right? About to start doing our taxes. I'm kind of prepping them. Some of you have been tempted to just fudge the numbers on your taxes. And you're thinking, everybody does it, right? Maybe you did it the last couple of years ago. They didn't catch it. I'll just keep this going. And there's this subtle deception of the internet. You go, nobody will know. Do you hear that? Nobody will know. That's an utter declaration of atheism. Because this verse describes a God who watches all and is looking for your life to declare a belief in him. And he wants you to be God of integrity. Jesus himself, when questioned about taxes, said, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. He's saying, it's, it's just money. In the grand scheme of eternity, it really doesn't matter. Don't throw away your integrity for a little bit of savings on your tax return. Be honest. Be integrity. Just go, I'm going to do what's best. I'm going to give to Caesar what's Caesar's so that I can give to God what's God's. Just get that right. Don't be the fool for a few bucks to throw that away. Uh, Another one, let me just challenge you. Some of you, again, a room this size, I'm guessing, some of you have been considering having an affair. Uh, Maybe you've had a few flirtatious moments. Uh, Maybe you've toyed with it in your head. Maybe you've done all the mental gymnastics to convince yourself it's okay. Everybody's doing it. I only get one life. Shouldn't I be happy? No one will know. And they're all lies. They're all deceptions. And the people I've seen who go down this path, they don't think anyone will get hurt. And then they hurt the people who matter most. If you're considering this, can I challenge you? Don't be the fool. Don't believe the lies. Don't believe that no one will notice and just be declaring atheism. When you got married, you made a vow. And so in having an affair, you're giving away something that is not yours to give away, and you're taking something that is not yours to take. Do not be the fool. Move away. Run away. Stop it right now and go, to the best of my abilities, I want to live a life that honors God and declares he's real and understands I'll answer for all my relationships, everyone I care about. I will answer to him, and I'm going to live a life of integrity and declare that he is real and good. But don't be the fool when it comes to this. Now, this chapter, Psalms 14, it's hard hitting, but then there's a point where it kind of turns and it tells us something about God that I do love. And it's this, it's Psalm 14 too, it just says, now the Lord looks down from heaven on all of mankind, all of us. The Lord looks down on all of us to see if there are any who understand and who seek after God. The Lord looks down on heaven for all mankind. This verse indicates that God for all eternity has been scanning the earth and looking at people's hearts. He's just been looking one at a time, which means he's been looking at your heart and mine. And he's hoping to find just a few people who are actually on a search for him and who understand. He's been looking for you. And he's asking you, are you looking for me? Are you seeking to understand what I'm like? Once you understand, are you trying to apply it to the best of your ability? I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm asking you to declare with your life a belief. He's hoping to find a people who are committed to him that way. Not just people who declare with their mouths there's a God, but who live a life different because of that reality. So the question I ask you is, where will you stand when it comes to this? Will you be a person who declares with their heart, indeed there's a God? And I'll live a life to the best of my ability on him. That choice is yours. Will you declare that? 
Or will you declare a life where you go, I, I may even give verbal assent, sit in a church occasionally, give it a few bucks, but my life's going to declare he's not real. Which will it be? Which will it be for you? There's that great verse in the Old Testament where the leader declares, Joshua, declare this day whom you will serve. Make a declaration. One way or there, will you serve God or not? Declare you this day. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So I declare to you this. I believe there's a God, and I believe he's good. I believe you are no cosmic accident, but you were designed by him, cared for by him, knit together by him, watched over by him. He loves you, cares for you, and it's my conviction that he will welcome you into eternity with all the blessings and all the joys. My wager is that he's real. And my life, I hope, to the best of its ability, declares that he is real. And I invite you to do the same. May we be a people whose lives declare the reality that there is a good and loving God. This is no accident. This is his gift and his design. Yes? May it be so. Why don't you stand up? My hope is, well, let me just say this. If in this, God just kind of tapped you on the shoulder and said, you better get some things right. Can, can I just encourage you? Don't walk out the doors out to your car without stopping by and talking to somebody. Our prayer room's open. It's right through here. You don't have to tell them everything. You might just say, hey, God told me to do something. Would you pray that I have the courage? Whatever it is. Uh, we talked earlier about uh, the, the Welcome to Willow 101 right over here. It's section 101, Discover Willow. Uh, if you're new to the church, you go, I, I want to hear more. Please, just come over 10 minutes. We'd love to meet you. you. You heard me talk about the Alpha course, too. It's Wednesday night. If you can't make this one, sign up for one. If you don't know what you believe, pursue this. And uh, God will honor that. But let's pray, can we? Now, God, this is my prayer for me and for everyone here. God, this is my prayer. God, for those who are trying to figure this out, would you put inside their spirit a deep desire to find out what they believe? God, would you give them sleepless nights where they just wrestled through this? Would you lead them to a friend, God, who could help ask good questions, listen to them? But God, ultimately what I'd ask is, God, would you show up for them tangibly in a way they, they just know it's you? That through an experience with you, they go, I, I, there has to be a God. God, for the person who, they believe in you intellectually, but their life is not in line with it. I would ask God that, you would speak so strongly to them about the things they have to change. Give them courage, conviction, passion. Let them say the words they need to say if there's apologies. But God, may they have the ability to change. God, our hope is that if there's anything in us that doesn't honor you, you'd tell us. God, that you would help every one of us live a life fully devoted to you. That we choose the wise path, not the foolish path. And God, every one of us wants to stand before you and hear those words, well done, good and faithful and wise servant. So God, we devote ourselves once again to you as a church, as families, as couples and individuals. We believe in you, we love you, and we serve you now. In the name of Christ, we prayed this. Everyone agreed and said? Amen, amen, amen. Yeah. It's so good to be with you. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday, and, uh, and we'll see you back next weekend. Have a blessed day. Take care.